Hi, thanks for tuning in to the Bacon Warrior Podcast. On today's episode, we talked about the Lions' last two games against the Cardinals and Saints. We talked about Jamie Foxx returning as Electro to the MCU before welcoming on Rivals Insider and co-host of the Spartan Spotlight Podcast, Justin Thin, to talk about recruiting, the quarterback battle, and more before we rounded it out with our ranking of our top five favorite music videos. Stay tuned. Here's Spartan Dog 97. Thanks, Spartan Dog 97. When I'm not huffing all the supplemental oxygen at Walter Reed Medical Center, I'm Spartan Dog 97. Guys, new recording schedule. What's going on? Hey, hey. Uh, not much. Just uh, about to celebrate my second wedding anniversary tomorrow, and that's about all I got going on. Lucas, how pissed are you that there's a new Borat trailer and now Borat's back in the zeitgeist? It's going to – oh, my God. It's going to be bad. <laughs> I can't wait, but it's going to be bad. So here's what's on the docket for the day. Uh, we're going to start off with our Lions talk, and then we're going to – I have a pitch room for you guys. We're going to talk about a little bit of that. And then uh, there's some big comic book movie news. You know, we're going to do a movie wire minute here. And then we have an interview with Justin Thin. He's a uh, Rivals Insider for MSU and co-host of the Spartan Spotlight podcast. And then on the other side of that, the boys and I are going to rank our top five music videos. So do it. let's get started with these fucking losers. Uh, <laughs> I, it's incredible to me that this team finds new ways to piss me off. They lost in the exact same way they've always lost, and I was still no less pissed off than I was the previous nine times. Yeah, and, typical Lions game. Yeah, I mean, it, it was perfect. Like, it was, it was like an AI. You know, it was like those, uh, that meme where it was like, I fed an AI a thousand hours of Parks and Recs episode, and, you know, it wrote one. It's like, that was like the perfect... That was like an AI wrote a Lions game. I mean, up 14 points, marching down the field, looking good. The defense is getting stops. And then the corpse of Drew Brees just came alive and chewed the defense up. Yeah, that – I mean, that, that interception you threw was like a tip ball. I mean, was it kind of his fall? I mean, he's short, so it's not like you can really fault him for that. But, I mean, that tip ball, and then they score so fast, and – New Orleans just dominated time of possession, and it wasn't even close. Yeah, like, it was like, just such a sorry. Like, go ahead, Brett. Go ahead. No, just I, I kind of during that game, I it took me back to the Lions' first game under Matt Patricia against the Jets when they went up seven nothing on the first play of the game, and you just felt like okay, maybe they finally figured it out. Obviously, they went up fourteen nothing, and then what incur what kind of ensues afterwards is just total embarrassment. It, it that should never happen in the NFL. You should never go up 14 nothing and then allow 35 straight points. And he's done that. I, I've, Mike Flanny mentioned it earlier how against uh, Green Bay, he allowed like 21 straight points last week against uh, – and then obviously 35 straight this week. I mean, it's just embarrassing. And there's no – as of this, we're recording Bill O'Brien, which is fired from both of his positions. I don't know if he still holds any others that we just don't know about. Um, <laughs> but he's been fired uh, as GM and coach. 
And I mean, what he's done to that franchise is just, I mean, he's basically a terrorist, but they're, they're um, still fucking screwed for like the next two years. Yeah. And I mean, what Matt Patricia, I just don't see how he can keep his job, especially when we're on the bye week I mean, looking forward, he's our best chance to get a top five pick because this team is just doesn't play for him. That's just the bottom line. They don't play for him. Yeah. And now the Lions are in a tricky situation, right? Because they need a new coach and a new GM. And there's going to be like eight op- – there's going to be more openings this offseason than there have been in a while that we know for sure. Bill O'Brien's already gone. Adam Gase is for sh- – Adam Gase is gone. Dan Quinn – Unless they somehow rattle off like nine in a row, he's gone. If they beat Green Bay, his seat will cool off a little bit, but he's 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 as good as gone. Yeah, he's toast. Yeah. Doug Marone, good as gone. Yeah. I didn't think about that one. Uh, Mike McCarthy potentially. That's I don't think that's I mean, if Dallas they keep on this trajectory, I mean if they can't win the division where the winner's gonna be like six and ten. I mean Yeah, they, Dallas I mean the Dallas thing is tough because you're going to have so much cap money tied up, but whatever. Yeah, Dallas could possibly be open. Minnesota could possibly be open. The problem with Dallas is that it's like no matter how well Dak is playing right now, like an MVP candidate, like they are so shit on defense. I, I don't think McCarthy would get fired in year one unless Sean Payton became available because – Jerry Jones has always said that's his dream guy. Like he's been pretty vocal about it before. And he was the assistant coach under Bill Parcells. Like I I think McCarthy would just probably overhaul the entire defensive staff, starting with Mike Nolan and then get another year. And then, yeah, Jerry would probably just throw the call the buyout and go get someone else. So we're competing with like six other teams and we probably have, one of unless we secure a top three pick, unless we're guaranteed Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, mm-hmm. that and I don't even know if we're guaranteed that because, like, to Bob Quinn's credit, like the roster on the team isn't dog shit, right? No. It's not like what happened after the Browns went zero and sixteen, or even after the Lions went zero and sixteen, right? Like, there's talent on this roster. It's just so mismanaged positionally that we somehow might stumble backwards into six, seven wins. So now yeah. you're talking a top three pick to you're picking 15 now. And this is a quarterback draft unless, unless KJ Costello keeps lighting the world on fire where you have a three quarterback draft class. So what do you do then? I mean, Stafford could potentially have another year left. But is he going to? Like, what? Like, does Stafford in year 13 want to go to another coach and learn another playbook from scratch? I don't know. I mean, the last he had to, the last coaching change was he was under was four kids ago. Stafford has four kids now. You know, it's like a whole different ball game for him personally. He might, he might eventually want to get traded and, you know, Lions do the Verlander route. Shout out Sav with uh, with him. I don't 
I'm sure I'm just talking on my ass, but I wouldn't blame him if after a while he's just like, you know what? I want to try to, I want to have a shot at a ring and unless things turn around very, 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 very quickly, it's never going to happen here. That's too bad. See, one thing I'm not sure I agree with is that the lion about the lions roster. I mean, just kind of going off the top of my head, how many foundational pieces do they potentially have? I would say, Stafford. Two on offense. I, I wouldn't even call Stafford foundational anymore just because Galladay. I would call but, but I would he, he doesn't have a contract. I, would, I mean Ragnall. I would call I would call Ragnall foundational piece. I would I even though Galladay's Galladay's gonna get paid this offseason. The right. Lions the Lions are gonna pay him. Okay. Sheila's gonna pay him. So I you can count Galladay. Um Hawkinson. He, I mean, Hawkinson, he still looks. He looks pretty good. I mean, Hawkinson maybe. Uh, carry on maybe. He's gone. No. I think carry on's gone. He's going. DeAndre be gone. Swift. DeAndre we Swift possibly. Um, on defense, I think you know, as bad as he's been, Okuda possibly. Maybe if he gets, maybe if he gets a good position coach next year. Yeah. Um. And. That's that's tough. I mean, the front seven is decimated. Oh, it's horrible. Jelani survived the worst pick I've ever seen. Absolutely. There is not one player on that depth chart on that front seven that is worth keeping this offseason. And for someone who is such, again, a defensive genius, like it's so frustrating to see the lack of talent in one of the most important positions in football. I mean, there's a reason why the highest paid player who wasn't a quarterback is a defensive end. Because they're they're so important to setting the tone of your defensive strategy. And the Lions just have nobody they can rely on on that front line. I mean, the Dominican Sioux isn't coming through that door. And I don't understand this I don't understand this kind of thing where you have someone like Kyler Murray or, you know, Drew Brees is able to read defenses, right? But when you have Mitchell fucking Trubisky, a guy who just got benched, talking about how they were able to figure out your strategy before the game was over, he was able to know what play was coming in the third quarter. That's, is ridiculous. That's, no genius. that's not that's brain dead. That is absolutely. I have given up. Please fire me. Please fire me, and let me go sit in a booth in Gillette Stadium for the rest of the season. And he should have to. He should have to fucking sit here the whole season and continue to lose and have his former players continue to post on their Instagram stories and talk shit about him and how bad he is at his job. Slay's been having a good time. Glover Quinn, too. I mean, the amount of talent Patricia has let walk because they weren't a quote-unquote culture fit is absolutely astounding. And, you know, Dan Orlovsky is whatever, but he he had a good thing today on ESPN where he was like, where yesterday Patricia said, when I got to Detroit, there was a lot of work to do. And I tweeted this yesterday. I was like, motherfucker, what work was there to do? 
<coughs> they Caldwell had a goddamn near winning record. He was probably the best coach they've had since Wayne Fuentes. Wayne Fuentes. Easily. And, and I don't. And I don't disagree that it was the right move to fire him. That's clearly what that's clearly what Martha's intention was when he brought in Bob Quinn. Because you don't hire a GM and then say you're tied to this coach, right? And if we had just fired Caldwell the year before, we could have we maybe could have gotten Sean McDermott or Sean McVay or, or one of the guys who came through that ridiculously talented hiring cycle. Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur. Uh you know, uh, who else am I thinking of? Oh, uh, who else was hired? They Matt. You know, Matt Nagy's had issues, but he won a division. He won a division. That's more a than field, yeah. Then a thirty-yard field goal miss away from winning a playoff game. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and like Patricia, Patricia hasn't even come close to sniffing the play. The only thing Patricia's come close to sniffing is a box of donuts since he's gotten here. Man, could you imagine McVeigh with Stafford? three years ago when I mean Stafford still got it but like just a younger Stafford with a new Sean McVay that would reinvigorate him so much he probably would have been an MVP under that offense yeah just I mean the thing with Stafford is it's not his fault but he's also not the solution and it, it he just like many great Lions players he just got dealt an awful hand by this organization if Matt if Matt Patricia is COVID Matt Stafford is like hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> that's honestly, that's a great, honest, yeah. I mean, who's the who's the bleach in the arm? Is that uh, <laughs> Corey Underling? No, that's a uh, big V. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you guys think Patricia's going to make it to season's end? Yeah, I yeah, I, mean, I don't think Martha never fired anybody in season. I don't think Sheila's going to either. It would have been and, today. And yeah, it would have been today if he if he's not fired by nine PM on if he's not already fired by the time you're listening to this, mm-hmm. then he's he's gonna stay the rest of the season. I don't I, I don't I know think, what else. I, I would like to be a fly on the wall in Allen Park just so I can understand what what Sheila and Bob Quinn are waiting for. And I think Bob Quinn realizes that if Patricia's out, he's out. So I think I Quinn isn't going to fire Patricia. Sheila Ford is going to need to fire them both. And I don't think she's going to do that. The problem is you already have an organization that has an empty head coaching GM position. And the Jets are just going to fire Gase and they're going to let their new GM stay because they like their new GM. I think right. been, and I think a lot of people around the league really like him too. He's been drafting really well. I think if the Saints went on like some absurd like 56 63 point run that then I think Patricia would have gotten fired today. I mean, it would have taken something like that. I mean, 35 points is still bad, but like I think if I got in the 40s, not 35 the 50s, points, Lucas, 35 unanswered, unanswered. points. Yeah. Like, that's what I mean. Like, say it was like something absurd, like eight straight touchdowns by the Saints. Then, yeah, Patricia's probably got a couple bankers' boxes full of shit today. It maybe, but 
they need to get on it if they want to fire him because, like you said, Houston's going to be open. But I don't think they're a threat because, like we said earlier, their draft picks are tied to the Dolphins for next year. Like, they could go 0-16 and the Dolphins just go, hey, look, <laughs> look what we can do. We can build up our franchise even more by trading the number one pick. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah, you look at some of these openings that potentially, I mean, I, I think Miami's going to keep Brian Flores, but, I mean, you never know. Because with their draft capital and having Tua waiting in the wings, like that's easily the most attractive job if that were to open. I don't think it will. Um, no. But yeah, like SD kind of mentioned, like Detroit really isn't all that attractive. I mean, you got to deal with the Fords. Um, they're loyal. That's really the only plus. I I don't know. They're they're kind of just I don't know. And that's, when we hired Patricia, we were probably the most attractive opening. Easily. Because we were back-to-back nine and seven years. We were a couple plays in 20 – what year was Caldwell fired? Was that 2017? Yeah. 2016. Yeah, we were a couple plays away in 2017 for making the playoffs again. We – you know, Orlovsky mentioned this in his thing today. Like, back-to-back years, they played the Packers on week seven – they played the Packers week 17 for the division. I mean, that 2016 they- game – Got they flexed. They got flexed into Sunday night football. That never happens to the Detroit Lions. Didn't they I need mean, to win like one of the last three games to win the division? Yeah, and they didn't. Yeah, like that was absurd. That was crazy. That so was Stafford just, broke his finger. Yeah, that's right. The ball. And and I just don't like. I've been I've been very vocal that I want Greg Roman. It's Greg Roman or bust for me personally. But if I'm Greg Roman and I am the hottest coaching commodity, probably since Sean McVay, right? And I'm looking at I'm looking at openings and I look at Detroit. You have an aging quarterback, a roster that is in shambles on the defensive side of the ball not really that strong on the offensive side of the ball either. There's potential, but it's just not there. You have a kick-ass Almost. punter. That's, you yeah, know. A really good wide receiver and a good quarterback. And a great punter. Yeah, that, really you know, good punter. Really good punter. Yeah. You know, but based on based on who his coaching tree is, he's probably not going to get used much. So I don't know what, I don't know what value add Zach Fox is going to be to someone like Greg Roman. And you look at, a job like Houston where you have a quarterback like Deshaun Watson, you know, I'm not going to fucking go to Detroit. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Houston unless I can get Justin Fields. Right. And get my hands on Justin Fields who fits to Lamar Jackson mold. Then I'm going to go to Houston. I'm going to work with Deshaun Watson. If I'm Eric B and I'm looking at jobs, if Jacksonville, you know, Jacksonville, the worst case scenario is they end up with Trey Lance. And Eric Bieniemy look goes, okay, I can work with this. I'm not going to go to Detroit and deal with the corpse of Matthew Stafford or some, or some guy they reached for in the first round because they needed a quarterback. I'm going to go, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go work with Gardner or whoever the, or whoever the Jaguars draft. If I, you know, who do we have left? We have Robert Sala, and that's the worst-case scenario for this team. I've said it time and time again. The worst-case scenario is the Fords give Quinn one more chance and he hires Robert Sala. 
Mm-hmm. That that's like a kamikaze scenario. The only the only saving grace that that could possibly save the Lions from shooting themselves in the foot is that the Texans hired Nick Casario, Nick Cas- Nick Casario and and uh, McDaniel's. That's literally the the Lions have to be saved from themselves from making a bad decision. And I guess it's up to you, is Houston dumber than Detroit? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Is Houston a dumber team than Detroit? Well, I know they've already been talking to McDaniels. Like, I think they've already reached out to him or are planning on it at the very least. So we just got to hope that the teams who might look a little more attractive to these, to these hot commodity, you know, offensive coordinators who, who can do some real good are, uh, are, you know, worth it. Right. And it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be the best. I'm having so much fun. You guys, we're going to have a lot of fun. That's all that matters. SD. We're just having fun. This is just so much fun. Wasting another year of our lives on these miserable. We we said we talk only three minutes from now on. And it's it's like, it's it's lion's minutes, lion's (laughs) minutes. Time's different in that realm. Like the quantum realm. Time moves differently in, in lion's land. (laughs) Plus we had two weeks of games to talk about That's how I'm going to justify it. Right. Um, but you know, I look at the schedule going on a more serious note. I look at the schedule going forward for Detroit and there are like some, we have to actively try to lose Minnesota, Minnesota, Washington football team, Jacksonville. They're all going to beat us. If they don't beat Jacksonville, Patricia's, I mean, man, if they get blown out by Jacksonville, that, oof. That's going to be an interesting uh, podcast next week. Or they're not going to stop. They're not going to stop Gardner. Then James Robinson. I mean, he looks like a legitimate NFL back, and he's just an he's a rookie free agent. Well, not gonna Min- be, they can't stop the run. Well, if Minshew turns the ball over like he has been, he's he's not like horrible, but he's just very inconsistent. If he can, if he does that, then the Lions have a shot because that's what Murray did. Murray looked bad against the Lions, and he should have had four or five interceptions. Like that's their only hope is if the secondary. Because Patricia has that one game a year he pulls out of his ass. And, like, it was the Rams game, even though they lost in 2018. They gave the blueprint on how to beat L.A. They really did. I, I'm fully convinced of that. And, you know, they did it last year. I for, You know, maybe Philadelphia. I don't fucking know. I mean, they lost every game, almost every game after that. But, like, it seemed like this year was the blueprint to beat the Cardinals because the Panthers kind of went the same route and completely isolated Kyler Murray made him look bad. And part of that might be us all a lot, me included thinking he might be an MVP candidate, but yeah, I Jacksonville's should be a winnable game, but we've said a lot of games should be winnable before. I just think this team's quit. They quit halfway through the second quarter last week or again, this yesterday, like they they quit. Mm -hmm. This team has quit. Yeah. I just don't think, you know, the second any team pushes back, and it's not easy for them. They're just going to roll over because they don't care. And, you know, Jacksonville is a team that on paper should be actively tanking, but mm-hmm. they're going balls to the wall every single game. I mean, nobody's going to tell Gardner Minshew to purposefully lose football games. No. So 
they're going to roll over, you know, they're not going to roll over and they're going to get butt fucked. And, you know, the, the longer Patricia's around, it's probably better long-term for the franchise. And, you know, I guess we'll just have to see what happens going forward. But, you know, in a year where, in a year where we've been in various stages of lockdown the entire year, and the president of the United States may or may not be dead. Who the fuck, you know, who the fuck knows, man? Well, that president just arrived back at his home, and the first thing he did is he took off his mask. <sighs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, but I'm watching it happen as we record. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it, please, people, vote. Please go out and vote. At least he yeah. has his foundation on today. So. <laughs> That guy is on more uppers than Zanjo at EDC. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So let's get into our, well, actually first we have a movie wire minute. Uh, Jamie Foxx is coming back to play Electro. Love it. And he's not going to be blue. Love it. So, I wonder, is this going to be the setup for the live-action Spider-Verse? Has to be. Because Michael Keaton has, you, you saw, I don't know if you saw the Morbius trailer, it feels like it was forever ago, but he's in that movie, albeit for just a little bit. Um, you know, there's been other ties, too. I think Tom Holland might actually show up at the end of Venom 2, if uh, if those random ass you know comic fart book movies websites are true, like there's been speculation about that, and Sony has to see. I mean, or Marvel has to see how well Spider Verse was received, even though it didn't make a ton of money. It's such a huge hit that like him coming back as Electro has to be that, unless Marvel is just like we want Electro in Spider Man three as a completely different Electro, but we're willing to give Jamie Foxx another chance because we thought he was good, but the character and, like, his origin was just fucking stupid. Yeah, I I just don't know. This is obviously not Marvel Studios' doing. Um, this is This is a Sony thing, and, you know, what Jamie Foxx's role as Electro in Spider-Man 3 is, obviously remains to be seen. You know, I don't know if, I don't know what the production schedule is like for Marvel going forward. I mean, we know everything's kind of pushed back a year. We heard earlier today that Dune is being pushed back a whole year. That was inevitable. And, you know, I think everyone just kind of, you know, they kind of sent Tenet out to be like this canary in the coal mine and, and obviously the canary didn't come back because now everyone's just punting on the rest of the year. So, um, so you know, I'll, you know, I trust to a certain level. I trust the team right now who's making Spider-Man, and I'm sure that, and I'm sure that it'll it'll work out okay. Um, I don't think, I think Sony. I think the people who deal with Spider-Man at Sony are better at kind of figuring out what, 
what the character needs and how to establish the wider universe going forward mm-hmm. than the people who were there during the Andrew Garfield era. Ugh. Those movies are just so misguided. And you know, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. And you know, obviously, you know they're obviously gearing towards a Spider-Verse and eventually Sinister Six because that was the plan moving forward if Spider-Man, if Amazing Spider-Man 2 did really well, I think that was the next movie. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they were gearing up for Sinister Six, which is yeah. going to happen someday. Yeah, and, you know, as long as, as long as Marvel Studios doesn't control the rights to Spider-Man, Sony is going to continue to try to do a bunch of different shit. And... Mm-hmm. You know, what happens now is just what we'll just, you know, it's kind of like a wait and see game. We got to, we just got to figure it out. So, so, uh, fellas, uh, we're ranking our top five music videos today. And before that, we're going to talk to Justin Thin, but fitting with the theme, our Bacon Wire Insiders got a very special clip of of a certain new metal band from the early 2000s recording one of their hit songs and we have the exclusive recording session audio and i'm gonna play it for you guys right now and then we'll go right into our interview with justin and then when we come back we're doing top five music videos Uh, okay, Papa Roach, are you guys ready to record? Oh, yeah, bruv, you ain't even got word about God, now we gonna be the tits, isn't it? I'm gonna be straight up honest with you, I had zero idea that you were British, and that you had such a shitty Cockney accent. Oi, how about you stop taking the piss out my accent, and I'll stop taking the piss out your mom's minge, eh? All right, I'm just going to start playing the track. You can lay down the vocals whenever you're ready. God damn it, I don't get paid enough to do this shit. What the fuck? Cut my pubes into pieces. This is my lawnmower. Clean balls, no itching. Skin safe tech won't cut my dick bleeding. This is my lawnmower. my pubes into pieces I have my lawnmower clean balls no itching skin safe blades won't leave my cock bleeding wanna come over and see it would it be wrong would it be right if I cut my pubes tonight chances are I might mutilation out of sight I'm cleaning on my balls tonight cuz cuz I'm losing my bush shaving my tank wish somebody would give me their wop losing my bush Shaving my chain, wish somebody would give me their rock. This is my lawnmower. Alright, cut, cut, cut. What, what the fuck was that? What, bruv? It was the song I wrote, mate. You got a problem with that? Yeah, I do. The song you sent me was this incredibly angry suicidal anthem and you come in here 
and you sound like some shitty podcaster trying to hawk some product using promo code BACON for 20% off and free shipping. What the fuck, dude? I didn't sign up for this. Whatever, bruv. Just let me know when you're ready to go again, mate. All right, we now welcome on a very special guest. Uh, he is the host of the Spartan Spotlight podcast and a Rivals.com insider for MSU. It is Justin Thind. Justin, first of all, thank you, on, thank you for coming on. And also, did you check your privilege? Are you kidding me? Having an MSU podcast, are you for real right now? <laughs> uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, um, I'll, I don't know if I'll be able to rival uh, the empire you guys have over here. At <laughs> but, but we're just trying some new things, Corey and I. Um, hopefully we can build even uh, um, a, a following, even as a tenth as big as you guys have over there at Bacon Wire. Um, stop, yeah. trying to, stop trying to gas us up. You... <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's probably a good listen if people are interested in like the really, really nitty gritty details of recruiting. Um, but it's not really something for for the for the fans that are not really diehard fans. So I think it's kind of like a like a niche kind of a podcast that kind of has its own spot. And um, but yeah, I definitely do enjoy listening to this podcast occasionally too. You guys definitely bring some personality and humor to to the scene. And uh, yeah, great podcast though for sure. Well, I don't know how to go from there, but I'll, I'm going to try. So I kind of want to ask about like the wider recruiting picture right now, like just kind of like a nationwide thing. One thing that always throws me for a loop is like the announcement of the announcement of the announcement, you know, where it's top, like I'm top like, 150. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what's the, what's the, what's the reasoning behind things like that? Um, I guess what what it kind of signifies is the kid knows that the end of his recruitment is nearing, um, at least in some cases. Um, so what they want to do is try to, I don't want to say milk the attention, but they kind of want to do make as many um, monumental statements as possible before they go ahead and, and close it down. Um, when it comes to kids making like top 15s and stuff, I don't know. I can't justify that for you. <laughs> I can't explain that away. But in if you know a kid is committing um, and like within a month or so and you see them put out like a top eight or a top five, that's basically just them getting that off their chest so they can go ahead and close it down. But some of those guys that have 18 offers and are putting out top 15s, I don't, don't really see the rationale behind that. Sometimes, though. Okay. That's yeah. It's just, it's just like, I always see like I'm announcing my top 15 at 6 PM on Friday. <laughs> Especially those guys that they, they give a whole release date and time for the top schools list. And you're thinking it might be like a top three or a top five. And then it ends up being a top 15. And then it's so anticlimactic. And sometimes like I'm over here ready to write an article thinking it's like a top three. And then the tweet comes through. It's a top 15. Suddenly I'm just deleting my draft. Thinking why did I waste my time even giving this any sort of credence. But I mean, I guess when they're kids, you don't really know what they're what they think is worthy of hyping up or not. But but it's it's fun overall though to kind of see some of the announcements these guys put out. Yeah, and so now I want to get um, MSU specific. You know, we've talked to recruits from Mel Tucker's 2021 class, and you know they they bring up you know it's the word's been sullied over the weekend, but Tucker's relentlessness, yeah. um, you know, in, 
on the recruiting trail. Uh, what do you have a grasp of this new staff's kind of strategy and how it kind of differs from D'Antonio's staff and how they went about recruiting? Yeah, uh, for speaking to the relentlessness, uh, that's definitely not just a phrase that they use to put on T-shirts and whatnot. The way the staff operates um, with recruiting is that recruiting is their first and foremost responsibility. Uh, that might have to take a little step back uh, now that the season's starting, but in the off season, they did recruit morning to night. And pretty much any time I'd reach out to a recruit and kind of ask them their thoughts about like the schools that they were considering, their thoughts would always be how Michigan State talks to them the most consistent um, out of the schools and um, that the coaches get to know them and their families um, and not just uh, talking about their um, on the field kind of aspect of their lives. So that really is a way of life for these guys. And as Mel Tucker uh, said in his introductory press conference, like recruiting is the lifeblood of a program. That's something that he got from uh, Nick Saban uh, from the three different stints that he spent with him. But like in terms of a systematic approach, the, one of the differences that this staff has um, from the last staff organizationally is the fact that they have um, a grad assistant for pretty much every position group. Um, and that really goes a long way. And when you're recruiting kids a whole year and ahead of where, they're, um, where the cycle is currently at. So for example, while um, a lot of coaches like, like Coach Kapilovic were recruiting guys in 2021, the offensive, offensive line grad assistant Jack Harris was going ahead and building those relationships with 2022 guys. And while um, Coach Hawkins was recruiting guys like Keon Coleman and Andrew Anthony, um, the other, other support staff guys like Jack Tab and then Sean Levy, they were building relationships for 2022. That really comes out when you talk to some of these guys in 2022, like Antonio Gates or um, Tayshawn Trent, and they say, oh, our favorite coach to talk to over there is Sean Levy or Jack Tab." And then you realize that's not the wide receivers coach, but yet yeah, look at the huge impact these guys are making. And that can only be done if you have the budget and the prioritization to hire a grad assistant for every position. And now that's where you can start to see a payoff. And I think once we, once we have some 2022 commits, that's when people will really start to see that materialize beyond just me selling it. I think you'll really see the effects of that in the actual recruiting rankings and whatnot. So this, the, the expansion of the staffs, was that a, was that like a refusal on D'Antonio or was that more of like a budgetary constraint that like once Beekman started to interview guys who realizes he needed to open up the checkbook a little bit? I think it's um, a little bit of both. I wouldn't call it a refusal on D'Antonio's part because I know that if he would have stayed this um, upcoming year, he would have had um, an extended budget as well. If uh, he would have ended up staying, I feel like that probably would have marked some more hires in the GA side of things, just like Coach Tucker did. But what I will say is I don't know why Coach D didn't go ahead and push for this earlier on in his career. Um, obviously, it's been um, more in recent years where this kind of phenomenon has taken over college football, where the more support staff you have, um, the better you do, obviously, but it wasn't really as widespread other than maybe in Alabama or Clemson. Now you'll probably see maybe most of the top 25 to top 40% of the programs have this kind of a setup. So I, I would have liked to have seen Coach Steve push for this sooner, 
but I do think he was in line for a similar sort of a revampment uh, if he was there this year from what I heard from some of the donors that talked to um, me and some of the other guys at Rivals. And I think what you really would have seen uh, the difference in with this budget is that you wouldn't have seen a huge revampment to the assistant coaches pool that would have led Mark D'Antonio to go ahead and hire some big name coordinators. I'm shocked. Yeah, that's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine uh, Coach D with this type of money allotment and giving Dave Warner a massive raise? <laughs> I, think, I think that's part of the reason why he never asked for it because he knew he was going to go ahead and keep the same guys. So when you have a new hire like uh, Coach Tuck coming in and he's hiring guys from scratch like Scotty Hazleton and whatnot, that's where you can kind of justify, hey, I need a bigger checkbook since I'm going to go pry guys away. But if Coach D is not going to pry guys away since he wants to stick with um, his assistants, I guess not, that's not really giving him the opportunity to go ahead and ask for a huge, huge pool. But, yeah, like I said, they were going to get um, a small um, – increase in the budget to, I think, go ahead and get some support staff, though. But I think that would have been the extent of it. Yeah, so um, when you, you know, I, I find the life of an insider so, so personally interesting to me. Uh, like, how do you go about establishing sources? You know, like, how do you go about building these relationships with these guys? Yeah, so I think part of that, I would definitely uh, credit Corey Robinson, uh, who, who's the other like main MSU recruiting anchor for Rivals. Um, well, I guess going a little further back than that, how I even started working here, um, it was, I would occasionally like message Corey about a recruiter to here and there and just like strike up a conversation. And um, that wouldn't be, have, wouldn't have been possible if like Corey didn't follow back or Corey didn't like respond to DM. So I guess the first sort of relationship building started like with me talking to Corey and then he kind of kind of got that I get some information here and there from like knowing the players on campus and whatnot and then he passed passed me on as a reference to Jim Camperoni who runs SpartanMag.com and then Jim has sources of his own that he now is able to like kind of feed me and then same with Corey with like a lot of the regional like high school coaches and stuff like that. And then beyond that, it's mostly just um, like not being afraid to reach out to some of these recruits. And um, then over time, you get to know like their high school coaches across across um, the nation and just the network grows like that. I think um, the, the harder part that I probably still have to work a lot on is building more of those regional connections. Like I said, um, as someone that's just 21 and hasn't really been on the circuit with these camps and, and going to high school games all across the country like Corey and these guys have, you don't really get to strike up a, like chemistry with like the head coach at Cast Tech or anything like that. But within the confines of the MSU program and like the coaches here, that's pretty much just like Corey helping me get inserted into like the whole grand scheme of things. And now just keeping up a consistent dialogue and knowing what the coaches want from us and just that sort of a back and forth. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all it is with that. And then I know just having some connection with some of the current players, that kind of feeds uh, good information from time to time that the fans kind of look at. And that kind of just helps build the overall brand, which then that indirectly kind of influences like a higher following and then more other recruits being willing to talk to you. So it's kind of like a cycle that each facet helps like another part of the part of the whole thing. The other way you could have done it, you know, just free advice here is you could have just taken a shot in the dark yeah. that a recruit was going to go to a different school than everyone was predicting. And then when you were right, you could have just ridden that cloud all the way up. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was there was a kid that was supposed to light the world on fire here in Michigan. I think Josh Christopher. Um, Josh Christopher was <laughs> leaning towards uh, the school mm. road, but not really sure what happened there. Uh, I think I think I read somewhere um, from a serious journalistic outlet that it had something to do with some M- with uh, some University of Michigan trolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we'll never know. I guess we'll never know the truth. But yeah. you know, God bless God bless the guys who are on top of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't so, don't know don't know how you guys got the got the scoop on that, but <laughs> amazing how those things happen. Yeah, I so, I, I feel like. That Probably why um, the whole industry is kind of shifting, and how Corey Corey Evans is getting hired by the Thunder and stuff is because because you guys knocked these guys out of the industry with, with that one. Let me just say the the day that a Bacon Wire member is running the Detroit Lions, it will be the day I have hope because that I I have just a gut feeling that one of us is going to be a finalist for that job someday. I mean, I, Brad, I'm sure you do a much better job than, than the guys that have in place over there right now. I, you could pick a circus animal, and I think they would do a better job <laughs> of running that place. So, Justin, I have a question. When you kind of get, like, uh, kind of a feeling that a recruit's going to be coming in, um, yeah. what does it take for you to start kind of running with that info? Does it have to come directly from that player or kind of just like a one-off where it's potentially like, uh, I know for Max Christie, it was on one of the message boards. It could have been rivals that it was basically a family friend was saying, yeah, Michigan state's in the lead. Does it have to be somebody who's like one step away from the player or kind of what's your process? So I guess for the Max Christie one, as an example, I can probably give like a few examples without naming names in other cases, but with Max Christie, I know when he had visited um, Michigan state back in in March. Yeah. March. I want to say, he had told one of the current players on the team that then told me that that at that point he said the Duke um, the Duke connection that the media was trying to make was overblown, um, and then I think I think I probably told a few people that, um, and then they kind of started putting that on Twitter if I if I kind of remember, but that was kind of my first initial um, indication that that this was something that was worth monitoring. But then once the family friend that you mentioned, yeah, that was on our message run at Rivals, he basically said the same thing um, throughout the course of the next few months. And then once he started saying, okay, we're within a two-week time frame, that's when we kind of knew that it was it was legit. And then um, higher up at Rivals, like beyond the team sites, there's like other insiders and stuff. Corey Evans was the main one that I used to talk to. But they would kind of then go ahead and do their own due diligence once I would bring up to like a fact that, hey, we're kind of hearing some rumors. What are you hearing from the AAU circuit or something like that? So then that would be kind of like secondary uh, confirmation. And that's when you can kind of run with it. For football recruiting, there's not really like an AAU circuit you can reference. But instead, what would happen is um, in the case of, actually, I won't say any names, but there was, a, there was a kid that we got a few months ago that nobody was really sure where he was going to go. But then his high school coach went ahead and kind of confirmed it, but said, hey, don't, don't say anything. So that's why you might not see me go ahead and tweet about like a, like a future cast or something in that case, if I know 100% sure that it's happening. And then what I would just do is um, just basically quietly put in the future cast and then maybe on the message board, like the day of, just say, hey, new commit expected soon or something. And if people go and check my history and see the future cast, then that's fine. I, I didn't directly say it. That, that, <laughs> That's kind of how I cover myself. But 
essentially it depends on how you get the information and that kind of allows you to be a certain level of free with the information or not. And then I know there's other cases where um, if like an assistant coach or, or, if Corey, or if Corey finds out from a staff member or something that they're expecting some sort of announcement, then, then that's something that we obviously can treat a little more freely since the, the staff knows when to share, when not to share. And then that's kind of how that's kind of how a lot of the recruitments happened. I know before I joined the team back in April when we had a hot stretch, about half the time I think um, that Corey was kind of tipped off that something would be coming. Sometimes he would be allowed to share the name. Other times, like when it was Hamp Faye, they wanted to keep it private so he could tell the opposing coaches. So it's kind of just every single case is a different case by case basis. But if it's a really high profile guy that you think might have come close to committing a few times, like Jaden Akins. You really can never be sure at that point. That's something that you can never fully stake a reputation on and say, hey, he's committing on this date. So I guess in some cases you can't even ever be certain, but in other cases you can be certain fairly easily. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember kind of going back, you mentioned Hamp Fay. When he did his commitment, that was kind of like, that was probably like the biggest surprise commitment of the group so far, just because I know it was kind of between him and Caden Salter and uh, one of the uh, your, one of the Michigan State Twitter follows that everybody should be doing is uh, Spartan season. He was really <laughs> high on uh, Hamp Fay, and he, he preferred him over Caden Salter, um, as did I. But kind of with that commitment, it, it came out of the blue. There was maybe like a little hint on the message boards that he was coming. So, so going back to that, um, I think what the whole thing was, the reason nobody knew exactly who it was is because it happened to time perfectly with another player that we were high on. And that was the night that Logan Diggs had taken his virtual visit here back when the staff was still actively recruiting him. So when Corey went on the message board and said, we're getting a new commit today, and then 30 minutes later, Logan, Logan Diggs tweeted out he had a great virtual visit, that kind of pushed things um, into like a direction where everyone was like guessing the wrong guy. And Corey wasn't allowed to say yes or no because that <laughs> the staff, he wouldn't be giving any clarification. So that kind of helped the surprise carry on until Hamp went ahead and finally committed. But um, yeah, so the way I understood the staff's recruiting board was that the top group had uh, the kid that went to Utah, I think Costelli, Peter Costelli maybe? Yeah. Um, him, Caden Salter, and Hamp Bay were all tied for first. Um, yeah, I, I know Season really preferred um, Hamp Bay, but I think that was more so just like the whole 6 by frame while being able to do everything. Um, I, I would, would have been happy with any, of the, any three of those guys. Um, and I, I think when you get a, a kid that's your plan A, that's in your top group in the first year, that could accelerate a rebuild all on its own. Um, one of the things that's not fun to see is the fact that every time Hamp Faye hands the ball off, the SMU commit seems to be able to take the ball 100 yards in like two seconds. That was – watching that game the other – like was it a, a week ago – because they didn't play this past Friday. Yeah. The kid had like 400 yards rushing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I put the stream on ready to see him set like more of like passing records. Like I think Hamp was on pace for like 1200 or no, he had 1200 yards in like three games or something like that back when he, before he got hurt. And I was looking forward to him seeing, to seeing him light it up again. And then suddenly they get this transfer running back. And I, I don't know if he'll ever attempt more than like 15 passes a game, but the good thing is we know how good he is, and uh, he's committed here. He's solid. So even if he doesn't get the star boost that we were thinking he might get, that that kid definitely has it all. He has all the tools. And I, I, I think it kind of depends on who wins the starting job this year before we can pencil him in as, a, as an early starter. Because if someone like Peyton Thorgan gets the job and he kills it, then 
maybe Ham Fay will have to wait a little while longer, but I do think he has every opportunity to start here early. And he really does have all the tools. And if you can just think about how quickly he got to the level he is at with just three real games of starting, then just imagine how quick of a developer he is in general. So season was high on Fant because he was 6'5 and had a big frame. We don't know season's real name. Is is Spartan season John Elway? John Elway. (laughs) Uh, I would think he'd have a better hit rate of quarterbacks than John Elway. <laughs> but but um yeah I mean I I can see I because these days you you see those kind of prototypical quarterbacks like Carson Wentz and, and and kind of like those kind of guys that can move around and then actually Carson Wentz isn't a good example of this because I was gonna end up saying how those guys can more hits and fly Eagles fly that's right that's right <laughs> I didn't want to say myself and bring my fandom here but I appreciate you adding that in. <laughs> Yeah, like I feel like those kind of guys that are mobile and six five, six six, and like a lot of weight. I think that's what you need, um, especially if you want to go ahead and run some RPOs. You don't want somebody to take a hit and be out for the next four games just because they can't sustain contact. And I think that was kind of his rationale. I'm I'm interested to see how much we actually run the RPO though before before I start thinking about that too much. But it can never hurt to have a guy that's that has that frame in that way because even if you're not leaving the pocket, you're still going to be able to sustain so much more contact even in the pocket. Yeah, and you you said something about Hamp's ability to start early depends on who wins the job this year. I know your your focus is more on recruiting, but do you have any any insight? Any I know Tucker was it Tucker or the offensive coordinator? His name's is Jay Johnson. Jay Johnson. Said, uh, said this last week that they were all kind of taking equal snaps with the first team. Do you have any? Yeah. Do you have any inclination onto who's going to be starting? So I, the one thing I did after after I heard Coach Johnson say that was I kind of checked around to see if that was true, and that actually is like 100% true. That's not him masking the fact that somebody's leading. They really are splitting snaps equal right now. Uh, but in terms of what I think, uh, I. I think even though they're splitting snaps three different ways, I think it's it's a two quarterback race right now with with Rocky and Theo Day. I that's not something anyone's told me, um, like or anything like that. Like I'm I'm not going ahead and reporting that. I that's just what I think. I think um, I think I think Theo Day is going to end up passing up um, passing up. Oh, sorry, I meant I meant to say. Um, <laughs> Peyton Thorne is going to go ahead and pass up uh, Theo Day on the start on the depth chart, even though he's mm-hmm. here a year later. I think that has more to do with if you look into Peyton Thorne's backstory, he kind of has uh, like the whole coach's son um, preparation ingrained in his mind, and I think he just sees the field better, and that's kind of something that previous coaches have said um, back when they were still here about. Mm-hmm. How how he was dominating with the scout team for those very reasons. He could kind of see the play happen before it did. And that's kind of something that distinguishes him from, from Theo Day, I think. And what that kind of leads me to believe is that someone like Jay Johnson, who has kind of always gone with the CEO of the offense is the quarterback kind of thing. Like he always says, he's looking for someone that's more responsible with the ball, someone that's more of a game manager, and someone that can make all the accurate throws and play within themselves. And I think that kind of is uh, Peyton Thorne uh, as opposed to Theo Day. Um, but I guess we can see kind of how they progressed over the offseason. 
But with that all said, when you're installing a new offense and it's like a shortened off season and there's a lot of uncertainty, I feel like there's a lot of tendency to go ahead and pick the guy that's already played. And that's why I'm not ready to say that, that um, Peyton Thorne's going to go ahead and start, even though I do kind of think he's the best talent. Because I think Rocky's going to have that leg up just because he has real experience. So we'll end up seeing, but if I had to put money on it right now, I'd probably say that it's going to go to Rocky just because he's the known commodity and there's there's word out there that he improved this offseason, even though who doesn't improve, right, if you if you listen to what I, people say. Based off film, I would hope he improved. No no shots at Rocky, but, I mean, he was put behind, he was put behind the eight ball with his yeah. lack of offensive coaching. Yeah, I, I think another thing was uh, – just yesterday, because I, I didn't want to do some of the homework I had, I started watching the Purdue games tight cut where he had 300 yards to look for what he can bottle up from that to go ahead and make maybe make those kind of throws full time. But I think he started one for five even in that game. And I think three of those uh, four completions um, sh- or incompletions should have been completions. So I think even at his best, there was still a lot of room for improvement. So that's kind of what also makes me think that Peyton Thorne gets the gets the starting nod but like I said if if he can make the improvements they say he did and he can complete the the passes he should be completing and then you kind of throw in the fact that he's a great leader according to everyone that's around the program and the fact that he's a known commodity I think then you can kind of look at him as somebody that can win games I don't know if he's going to single-handedly win you games I don't know if he's like a like a Trace McSorley type of gamer where he'll just (laughs) Ahead and go ahead and get you some wins other than when they play That'd be off. nice if he was. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think he can't – I think you can win with him if he makes those th- those kind of steps up. You said Trace McSorley, and my brain is so poisoned by social media, I just immediately thought of TikTok. So that's why, <laughs> that's why I giggled. I don't think Trace McSorley sucked at Penn State. It was like there's this weird thing on TikTok with Trace McSorley yeah. where they found this song someone made. Oh, I'm going to have to end the pod with it now, but it, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, I mean, we, we bottled him up pretty well, actually, but I would watch like a lot of their, a lot of their games other than when they play us and he was just somebody that knew how to win a lot of the time. So I like, I'm like, I'm saying, I don't, I don't know if Rocky's like that. I don't know if he's necessarily like a killer and like, is going to be like Connor cook and trace and win us some of those games. But I think you can win with him if he kind of makes the throws you need to make and plays within himself. I, I just have one question, Justin, like alluding to, you know, the three quarterbacks kind of splitting, split, splitting reps. Yeah. You know, D'Antonio, I, you know, to a fault was kind of loyal to people and good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that say Rocky's the starter and he struggles, like say the first, how many games do you think it would take for Mel Tucker to pull the trigger on uh, Day or Thorn? Like how long do you think it would be? Because you know D'Antonio, God love him, but he would just ride Rocky Lombardi to, to the very end, no matter how good or bad he'd be playing. Yeah, that that's kind of interesting too to think about because I know once they put out the prop bets um, of Rocky starting six and a half games, like take the over or under on that. I know me me and Season were kind of arguing about this, and he was saying that there's no way it's over, and I'm thinking, so going with my theory of him possibly being the starter just because the experience and the, the comfortable like um, like him being a leader and all that, I think that plays into him starting. And 
if he does play and then you have the run game that I think you that they'll end up having and a defense that's serviceable, I don't know if there's going to be enough negative play from him to go ahead and make that change. But at the same time, I don't think that that the coaching staff will hesitate if he plays like he did last if he plays like he did in the last couple of years. So right. I, I think there's going to be a much quicker tendency to make the change. But I think with what they're going to have him do, how they're going to just make him make the throws he needs to make, keep him playing within himself, use Elijah Collins a lot, I think there's a great chance that he won't even be given the opportunity to go ahead and, and play loose and kind of kind of play himself mm. the job. But if they do decide – because actually, on the other hand, you have Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor, and these guys can really run. Right. So if you start having these guys get open and you're suddenly throwing – 30 times a game, even though I'm expecting more like 20 right now, if you start having those kind of like air raid kind of games here and there, cause your guys are just getting too open and he's not missing, he's not hitting those. Then you can be looking at a change pretty soon, like maybe week two or three. Hmm. But yeah, my vision for what I think they're going to do is they're just going to have him play within himself, throw not that much unless the team is really crushing the run. And then just feel pretty much just be a game manager and play Play his way through the season. That's what I was going to say, game manager. Yeah, that's kind of what I think is going to happen unless unless they throw a lot because these guys are just getting way too open. All right, Justin, uh, final question for you. We know you got to go, so we're just going to end it here. Um, yeah. Your prediction for MSU football this season. Um, okay, so this is something I've gone back and forth at a lot. So the, the second I looked at the schedule, my initial thought was three and five. And then the more I hear – each of these coordinators talk, the more I hear each of these players' interviews, it really seems like for one reason or another, every single person really does think that, that they're way better than they're given credit for. And it's different than how they would usually come across and, and just say, oh, everyone worked hard, we're ready, we're going to go win some games. They're giving specific things. Like the defensive coordinator, Scotty Hazleton, was going on about how they are able to go ahead and generate a pass rush with a variety of different guys with depth. And now how he just needs to go ahead and fine tune some things about getting people's pad level lower. Like they have specific things in mind already that they really like about these guys. And they're sharing those at these press conferences and on offense, they're just doing a tremendous job with the actual weapons they have. The only thing now is did Chris Kapilovic have enough time to make the huge improvements he's kind of known for, but with, with the general tone of things, with how specific uh, these guys are with their compliments and how much enthusiasm these coordinators and coaches have, I think we might be looking at like five and three, where you could put up a very great fight against Penn State and Michigan, if not steal one of those games, and then maybe drop one you should win, like maybe in Indiana or Maryland or something. And with playing a team from the West, I think that gets you up to – uh, six and three then at that point and then who knows what you get at the bowl game maybe you're looking at seven and three but I think that all comes down to did coach cap have enough time to improve the offensive line and what kind of quarterback play we get but basically the long story short is I had a lot of concerns about some position groups like defensive tackle cornerback and yeah that's pretty much it other than quarterback obviously but those coordinators are addressing those concerns specifically and with a lot of enthusiasm much more than I would have thought though I was kind of hoping you would talk me down a little bit. But yeah, you that, didn't help. help. You didn't help no, at man. all. I was I'm hoping you would go. Don't expect a lot. Like you were going to temper my expectations. That's why I asked it. Yeah, I mean that's what I've. That's what I spent. Like when did he get hired? February. <laughs> I 
I think that's what I spent from February until September doing. I tried to tell everyone to expect no more than three wins. Um, yep. No way you can go ahead and install these offenses and defenses in, in such a short time. We lost Joe Bocci, Kenny Wilkins, Raycon Williams, Mike Panashuk, all those guys don't expect any sort of uh, competitiveness. We're going to get blown out in every game by 30. That was kind of what I was saying for like the last six months or so. But now that we're getting closer, I don't know if I'm just falling victim to all the hype. Like, but then again, it's not like University of Michigan kind of hype where we're suddenly <laughs> expecting our third-string quarterback to win a Heisman in two years. So <laughs> this is still reasonable hype coming from specific improvements from the OC and DC. So maybe I was just too pessimistic here in the last few months. I'm kind of changing my, changing my approach here this month. But See, I've, I've been on the three and five train, and like, it's just been hearing you talk and hearing – um, another lockdown Spartans hear them talk like I'm slowly going in my head like man I'm gonna hover to like five or five and three and then yeah. be pissed if they only win three games whereas I expected that to start that's actually yesterday I listened to Matt and Will's episode of, uh, of lockdown kind of hoping that that they would kind of take the pessimistic route too but they did the opposite and Matt did not <laughs> that was jumping up and down at the possibility of us basically like winning the national championship <laughs> But um, that didn't help at all because I was kind of hoping they'd bring me back to my old three and five ways. But it seems like no matter where you look, pretty much everybody is suddenly on this optimistic train that I was trying to keep people off of all these months. But I think we'll find out very quickly in the Rutgers game because I don't want to say you shouldn't lose the Rutgers, but you kind of shouldn't lose the Rutgers. And the, the pretty much if you look at where we were last season, we were not very good. Or at least we were good, but we didn't win the games we should. And still, I think we beat Rutgers, like, what, 34 to 10? I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering it totally. But, yeah. Yeah. So if you can do that last year, you should be able to win by at least a, by at least a few points this year, I'm thinking. Maybe not maybe mm-hmm. not like 17 or 21, but I would expect. 77. <laughs> uh, Justin, I have a real quick question. I know you got to go. This is just a yes or no. We were just kind of talking about hype. Um, I've heard Foster Lawyers had a really good offseason, and he's he's, uh, been compared to Bull Bull. Do you agree? Um, I I think he's better shooter than Bull Bull. Um, I mean, if if, I mean, this is a close call. I mean, he could probably he could probably take Bull Bull and. No, I mean I don't know. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's just that's just the first comparison that came to my mind. Uh, I I've heard I've heard more interesting comparisons from time to time. <laughs> wow. So so um, but yeah, I, I've heard that Foster has actually um, been getting a lot of direct coaching from coaches, though um, not in person, obviously, but like coach has like been talking to him a lot over over like the coronavirus pandemic. Um, over Zoom and stuff, just giving a lot of like personal like um, guidance and whatnot. So we'll see what happens there. I'm not ready to write him off just yet. Um, he'll definitely get his fair share of opportunities this year. So we'll know more about his future after this year. But hopefully, hopefully he turns it around. I'm pulling for him definitely. All right, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, check out Spartan Spotlight with Justin and Corey Robinson. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Anytime. Thanks, man. Thanks, Justin. Thanks, everyone. All right, big thanks to Justin. Big thanks to our my insider source who got us our 
our leaked audio of Papa Roach singing Last Resort. Incredible stuff. The, that insider is dialed in for sure. Yeah, that guy is dialed like the phone dial all the way up. So, wow. 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 So we have our top five music videos today. Um, and fellas, you know, Lucas, you're the oldest. So what was MTV like when they played music videos? <laughs> it was fucking great. Like, the, I'm, the, I went in my bag a little bit. I have, like, one modern video in my top five. But, like, it was such a cool thing. Like, I remember being 12 or 13, you know, in middle school and going home and getting home around 3 o'clock, 3.30 to watch Total Request Live for the youngins who never had, I don't know if it's on MTV or not anymore. I know they're trying to go back to music videos, but um, that was a cool thing. Like to see the rankings, you know, like who would be number one, you know, Oh my God, the, I'm sure like, you know, fucking NSYNC or Papa Roach, you know, they had the number one video for the 50th week in a row. Like that was kind of cool to see that, that sort of thing growing up. But yeah, MTV back in the day was pretty fucking awesome before they decided to just duplicate times 50 their success that they have with the real world. Yeah, so so here's how it's going to work. We're going to go Brett, then Lucas, then me, uh, five through one. Uh, so, Brett, let's get right into it. What's your number five? My number five, all my – first, I'm going to mention all my picks are rather recent. But my number five, I'm going with the ultimate classic of Anaconda by Nicki Minaj. <laughs> don't, my Anaconda don't, my Anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. Oh my gosh, look at her butt. You horny motherfucker. <laughs> Boy toy named Troy, used to live in Detroit. <laughs> no, uh, I'm a Nicki Minaj fan. I would not consider myself as a barbs as they're called on Twitter, but I definitely like her music. And that video is pleasing to the eyes. <laughs> Among other sensories, one other sensors, excuse me, the brain. <laughs> it's stimulating. It's very cranially yes. stimulating. Absolutely. She's a great uh, fucking rapper too. Sure. Lucas, you're number five. My number five is Stacy's mom by fountains of Wayne. Another kind of uh, horny pick, like for Teenage Lucas, that came out, and that was like, and you had a pretty hot, obviously the hot mom in uh, Supermodel Rachel Hunter. You know, that was that was a banger, a good song. It, it got made fun of a lot. You know, every teenage girl who had their friends over and had a hot mom was like, you know, I'm in love with Rachel's mom. I'm in love with Carol's mom, et cetera. So it got kind of beaten the ground, but it's such a good, it's such a fun video. And I, it's, it was an iconic one for sure. Stacy's mom, Brett, I think you can agree. All time MSU Darty anthem. Oh yeah. <laughs> that and Mr. Brightside, you get those, you get those fired up at a Darty. It's, it's over. It's <laughs> place is going down. <laughs> 
All right. My number five is a very recent pick, very recent this year. It's uh, My Bloody Valentine, Machine Gun Kelly. Can't stay forever. Let's play pretend. And treat this night like it'll happen again. Megan Fox, please tie me to a chair and feed me a jelly donut. <laughs> Just unreal stuff from her. I'll have to watch this video. I haven't seen it. It's good. Can we talk you... about Machine Gun Kelly, his career revival? Please. It's amazing. I, I was listening to his new album. I can't recall the name of it. Um, Tickets to My Downfall. Yeah, and he has a song with Halsey. It's it's incredible. Like, really good stuff. It, it's, uh, you know, you can kind of tell that this new generation of rappers were kind of inspired by, like, that late 90s alt-punk alt kind of wave. And I love that uh, that at one point Machine Gun Kelly decided to say, fuck it, I'm just going to make subtext text and hire Travis Barker to be my personal drummer and producer. And you can definitely tell, tell that the influence is strongest on this album. I mean, fuck, he even has a song about aliens on this one. So it's like, so it's like it, it could not be any more Blink-182 if he had covered all the small things, you know? <laughs> uh, Brett, you're number four. My number four is recent banger, Freaky Friday by Lil Dicky featuring Chris Brown. <laughs> Woke up in Chris Brown's body. So how did shit turn into Freaky Friday? But we got no choice but to turn this bitch sideways. I can't believe that it's Freaky Friday. It's Freaky Friday. I think this is one of the most creative music videos of like recent memory. Obviously it's based off the movie, but the way it was just kind of uh, filmed and orchestrated is just amazing. Like I could watch a video so many times. It's, it's perfect. Banger. And it's a banger of a song. It's all right. What? All right. That's a, you'll be hearing that at your, your wedding one day. That's bold of you to assume I'd ever get married. Uh, <laughs> Lucas, you're number four. Okay. Um, another old one, but this one just is stuck in my head forever since I first saw it. Um, the Dope Show by Marilyn Manson. Dope Show. All stars now in the Dope Show. Does he suck his own dick in this music video or no? No, sorry to disappoint. It's it's like a weird, it's like a take on like an old science fiction movie, like kind of like the day the earth stood still, or like the day they landed, etc. It is like a really meta commentary on like how celebrities and people are used. Like if you're in the limelight, even like your 15 minutes of fame is basically what it is. And like how they use you and abuse you, drug you up, and then they discard you. It's it's a good it's a catchy song, but the video is just so like out there and like I was 11 years old when it came out and I'm just watching it like 
what the fuck is this? And the album cover to it, Mechanical Animals, like he's in like some latex suit where he has like breast implants. And it's just, it's fucking weird. And that's, and it's just all weird. Like when Trill said the other week, Spartan Dog, like it's all just a guy named Brian. (laughs) (laughs) That's all it is, is Marilyn Manson's just a guy named Brian. But like, yeah, that video stood out in my head forever. Okay. Uh, My number four is Genie in a Bottle by Christina Aguilera. You know, mm. I'll tell you what, fellas. <laughs> Christina Aguilera. Mm, just queen shit. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, just, oh. Hot. Yeah, pretty hot. Um, <laughs> Brett, you're number three. Yo, SD, I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. Give me single ladies. Did you pick this just because of the reference or <laughs> do you really believe this? Both. Um, yes. Anytime I can drop a Kanye reference, I'm going to do it. And a good video. this video, this video is amazing. And it created one of the ultimate pop moments of our time. So it kind of gets double points for me. Um, and Beyonce, I mean, I could have put probably half a dozen. I off the top of my head, a half a dozen, like, top videos of all time belong to her. Um, yeah. This just happens to be my personal favorite. I mean, you had so many just spinoffs and spoofs of the video. So um, shout out to Beyonce, Queen B. Yeah, we're, we're friends of Beyonce here. Please don't attack us. Please, please. We're yeah, the Beehive. The Beehive. My wife, my we wife are is a longstanding member of the Beehive. So we are, we're in, we're in with the Beehive. Love okay. it. Good. Um, my turn, right? Yep. My number three, it's pretty simple. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. That's a that's a great pick. Like the first time that you watch it, like me and a couple other people watched it at my house and we were just so awestruck by the imagery and the meaning. And then we listened to the song the next time around. Like, you know what I mean? Like you're just mm-hmm. so enamored with the scenery and with like him shooting, you know, people and everything. And like the dancing, like the clothing he's wearing has ties to racial injustice or like, you know, back, back in the day, I think it was like a Huckleberry Finn reference it's just a batshit crazy video and a, a really fucking great song with this, with a, with a, uh, a quote, a sick beat 100. Sick with two C's. <laughs> I almost had that on my list. I switched out that for freaky Friday, but yeah, I, Lucas, I agreed. That's just one of the, I mean, it's going to stand the test of time as well, which it is was another very prevalent back then. And it might even be more prevalent now. Yeah. 
All right, fellas. My number three. My number three is uh, it's uh, "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time" by Britney Spears. You know, my loneliness, it's just, it's just <laughs> killing me. You have a type. Uh, it's just, it's killing me. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, ugh. You know, Lucas, do you, uh, do you remember when there was that website that would count down to where Britney would turn 18? Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, was my early America Online internet days. <laughs> that was, that was cool. I, I kind of wish I was there for that. That that would be cool. That video is yeah. I'll never forget watching that video for the first time. I was like, whoa, just wow, just just wow. Okay, Brett, you're number two. <laughs> He's about to. <laughs> All right, this is probably expected, but I finally have to drop a Kanye video. I'm taking the whole Runaway mini film. And I always find, yeah, I always find something wrong You've been putting up with my shit just way too long I'm so gifted at finding what I don't like the most So I think it's time for us to have a toast Let's have a toast This is my favorite album of all time And I think this is like Kanye's penultimate moment of just kind of creating a masterpiece. I mean, the short film is just incredible. Um, even some of the songs are orchestrated a little bit differently in here as well, which I thought was really kind of a nice touch. Um, just really cool film. I think anybody should really check that out. Um, even if you don't like Kanye, I think you have to respect his creative abilities. And this is him at his uh, finest. Mm -hmm. Lucas, incredible. You're, Lucas, you're number two. Um, my number two before Spartan I was about to bust um, is November Rain by Guns N' Roses. This definitely ages me because I was like fucking five when this came out. But it's such a great song and a great slash solo who's like one of the best guitarists ever lived, but it's such a good story. Like, like kind of alluding to what Brett said about runaway on a much smaller scale. Like it's a, it's a huge story about like this broken marriage that's broken right off the bat. Like it alludes to depression and suicide, like stuff that Axl Rose fought with and might still be fighting. And it's also a really good Yankee candle scent. Okay. My uh, my number two. It's oh, not God. technically a music video. It's a it's an SNL performance, but uh, it's the SNL performance of "You Should Be Sad" by Halsey. Oh God. There, there's this, there's this moment 
in the beginning where she's on this like fake like like mechanical bull and oh my god you guys and she's wearing assless chaps like oh my god you got Brett number one Brett you're number one I'm number one it. is Otis by Kanye West they ain't see me cause I pulled up in my other bins Last week I was in my other other bins All your diamonds up cause we in this bitch another game Photo shoot fresh, looking like wealth I'm about to call a paparazzi on myself uh, Live from the Mercer a- Oh I love Otis, it's probably my favorite star for Watch the Throne Lordy uh, t- Tell me more <laughs> I am terrified of what's happening on the video stream connected to this podcast. That's not either Lucas or I. (laughs) No, but that's, I mean, that's just, Otis is just fire. I don't have much to say. Did we we skip because I'm on my number one? No, it's number one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, my turn, my go, uh, SD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, number one is Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. I love parody videos. Like, I think that's part of what makes a music video great. Like, I just left Learn to Fly off this list by the Foo Fighters. It's a fucking hilarious video where, like, they play random people on airplane in Tenacious D. But, like, Sabotage is such a great parody of, like, the 80s cop dramas and, like, cops and all that shit. And it's a really good short, sh- short song and a fucking hilarious video. It's, it's a banger. It's, it's the best music video I've ever seen. Directed by Spike Jones, right? Yep. Oh yeah, he directed a lot of fucking great videos. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So, um, my my number one. <clears throat> oh no. My number one is uh, my number one is is "Touch the Sky" by Kanye West. I gotta testify. Come up in the spot, looking extra fly. For the day I die, I'ma touch the sky. Gotta testify. Come up in the spot, looking extra fly. For the day I die, I'm a touch sky back. You know, this is the first, I think this is the first Kanye music video where he really experimented with kind of expanding beyond the music itself and kind of giving the video a story. Um, if you look at some of the other stuff from his early earlier in his career, and even some of the stuff off this video, you know, like the gold digger video. It's just kind of him and Jamie Foxx just kind of just kind of in a room right. going around this song. But Touch the Sky is really the first one where he tries to build a narrative around the song. And it's this really cool uh, kind of homage to Evil Knievel in these 70s Daredevils. And, you know, on top of being like one of the more underrated songs in Kanye's discography, just because I feel like late registration, you know, Gold Digger just kind of sucks up all the shine from late registration. I'm sure Brett can, can echo me on this. I agree. It, it just, and uh, you know, there are other great songs from this album that kind of get overlooked just because there's a song that just sucks up so much oxygen, but touch the sky is great. It has an excellent feature from Lupe Fiasco. 
Um, and the video is just so cool. Like it's so creative and cool story about this video, guys. I, Brad, I don't even know if you knew this. Um, the video I'm talking about, uh, the, the video where he's playing like this daredevil is self-funded by Kanye. So Def Jam just wanted a straight up, like, here's me and Lupe Fiasco. We're in a room. There's some girls shaking their asses and here's the song. And Kanye was like, no, I have this cool concept for like this, for, you know, I'm playing like this daredevil guy and I'm doing this stunt. And like, I have this girl who like, doesn't want me to do it. And, and the studio was like, no, you're going to do this. So he did the video and he hated it so much. He paid out of his own pocket to hire his own guys to film this music video. Didn't he do that for Runaway? I thought that was self-funded too, wasn't it? He might have. I'm pretty sure know, it was. I know for <laughs> Jesus is King, he, he bought out the Fox that just let fans in for free. And he invited me, which is nice of him. Okay, well, he put it on. I got one of the tickets. He didn't invite me, but. <laughs> you should have said he invited you. Just just roll with it. We're, we're people of honesty on this pod. We would never lie. No. Never lie about anything. Um, um, honorable mentions for me real quick. Uh, Formation by Beyonce, all-time horny video, but a good song, great beat, and uh, shout out Red Lobster. Um, and then Closer by Nine Inch Nails. It is a very disturbing video, but when I first got into Nine Inch Nails, I watched it like 20 times in a row, and it was just like, yeah, okay, I know what I'm getting myself into. So those are my two shout outs. Yeah, um, I don't have many... I don't have many honorable mentions. Um, I had uh, I had Mercy by uh, I don't even know how I would how I would um, describe it. Um, I guess I would call it um, good music. Um, the Mercy video, and then I also had uh, My Name Is the my the My Name Is music video. Oh, so good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm. I mean, we can say what we want about him in his later career, but I was going to say Mosh. That's kind of one of my honorable mentions. Like that, like seeing that as a kid, that was like eye-opening. Um, no, Eminem does a great job with his visuals. Without Me is a great one too. Yeah. All right, fellas. That was a good episode. Yep. Uh, thanks again to Justin for coming out. Thanks to my inside source for getting us that Papa Roach tape. <laughs> and uh, – you know, Despite Brett, we'll hear you on Friday for Bacon Warriors Best Bets. We'll be back next Very Tuesday. Gentlemen, go green. Go white. Go sponge. Quarterback. Throw it on a dime like I ain't even trying. Just a kid from Briarwoods. I'm wearing number nine. Met Coach Franklin down at Vandy. Flipped to Happy Valley. Now I'm coming back and got the natty on my mind. They can't touch my Every game I'm scoring, I'm your favorite quarterback. They call me Chase McSorley. Rep that blue and white, you know I do it for the glory. Baker won the Heisman. Next up, Chase McSorley. Chase McSorley. They call me Chase McSorley. I went out to the bar and I woke up in a sorority. <laughs> Michigan defense softer than that cheesecake. Beaver Stadium, get loud. Home team, 14 straight. DeAndre going long. Going long. Back
shoulder to Juwan It's that Big Ten title season Try to take me out too bad We still got Tommy Stevens Throw it on a dime Like y'all ain't even trying Just a kid from Briarwoods I'm wearing number nine Met Coach Franklin down at Vandy Flipped at Happy Valley Now I'm coming back and got the natty Next up, Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley, they call me Trace McSorley. I make these other quarterbacks look boring. I'm snoring. I came in as a starter and went 22 and 5. If you bring that blitz, I scramble out and let the fuck the fly. Long ball, I got no fear. Going into my fifth year, and I look back at 2014, thinking, how the hell did we get here? Saquon to the big league. Next up, Miles Sanders and the Nittany Lions moving forward. What a buck guys going backward. Listen to the critics, they all say I'm undersized. If you wanna win a game, then put your faith in number nine. And we coming for that title. Best believe I'm gonna shine. I'm about to show Joe Moore why you should not leave me behind. They can't touch my deep ball. Every game I'm scoring. I'm your favorite quarterback. They call me Trace McSorley. Do it for the glory Baker won the Heisman Next up, Trace McSorley